This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and you're listening to episode 1709, Regenerative Agriculture with Ethan Rowland. As we get started, a few quick announcements, and then we'll head on to that interview. The first is that we're in the middle of our winter to spring fundraising campaign, and have raised $136 of our goal of $3,500, with that campaign ending on April 20th, 2017. If you're able to give, please do. You can do so by going to paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast, sending something directly to show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or by dropping something in the mail, The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. Or, if you'd like to become a recurring donor to the show, you can do so by signing up at Patreon, and as a thank you, can receive a number of rewards, from ad-free episodes, to opportunities to join me at various events, as well as early access to promotions, tickets, and private permaculture retreats. Find out more at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. Also, if you're looking for a permaculture design class but unable to attend one in person, there's only one online course that I can personally recommend, and that's the one at Oregon State University taught by Andrew Millison. In addition to being a past guest on the podcast, I studied with Andrew during my teacher training, and I really think that he's one of the best teachers that we have in our community. If you're interested in this opportunity, listeners of the podcast can receive a 5% discount and support the show at the same time by using the promo code SMPERM5%. The spring class starts on April 3rd, and the fall course begins on September 20th. Find out more and register today using the link in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com, where you'll also find that promo code. I also wanted to let you know our friends at Spiral Ridge Permaculture are offering a number of permaculture design courses and other workshops this year, and for listeners of the Permaculture Podcast, you can receive a discount on your tuition. For their spring PDC, May 18th through the 31st, 2017, Use the code MAN, M-A-N-N, to save $100. Find out more about their classes at SpiralRidgePermaculture.com. My guest for this episode is Ethan Rowland, who joins me to help define what regenerative agriculture means for both permaculture practitioners in particular, for farmers and others who are looking to grow and practice more sustainably, as well as the intersection between those spaces and where we all interact together. A past guest on the show, I've included links in the resource section to the earlier interviews if you'd like to find out more about Ethan and his work. So let's go ahead and get started with Ethan Rowland, and I'll join you again afterwards. Ethan, since you've been a guest in the past, we don't need to begin with your biography and background, but is there any update that you'd like to share with the audience since the last time we spoke? There's so much going on. It's been an exciting couple years for the growth of regeneration and especially the regenerative agriculture movement, but also regenerative business and regenerative enterprise have really stepped into the visibility of the world like they never have before. And that's really exciting and important to me because I see the greatest potential good for the systems of the earth through engaging with regenerative agriculture and regenerative business. And is that part of your work with TerraGenesis International? Yeah, TerraGenesis is an international consulting firm that is focusing on regenerating supply, regenerating the global system of supply that provides goods, primarily living capital and material capital, to companies so that they can produce their products. People usually use the term supply chain to talk about, um, you know, say for a cosmetic product, people talk about, well, they get the coconut oil from one place and they get the essential oil of lavender from somewhere else. 
and you know they get a number of petrochemical-based things from different places around, and maybe they get a mineral pigment that was mined somewhere, and they call all of that their supply chain, and they put it into a cosmetics ingredient, um, and they sell it. Terragenesis works to transform that system, to break the chain, as it were, and help businesses see that it's actually an intricate web of supply. It's a supply system. It's not a chain. Chains don't exist in nature. And so we help them to see that and then to start transforming their supply system so that it sources from regenerative agriculture projects, permaculture sites, high quality beyond organic farms all over the world. And is that where your interest in regenerative agriculture and working on these ideas through your white paper and other work come into what you're doing now? Well, you know, it's more that I've been doing permaculture for more than a decade now and, you know, biology and ecology before that. And so a lot of my ideas is about regenerative agriculture and how we can design systems really came from working through permaculture and doing landscape design for quite some time. But, you know, as we, you know, we built Appleseed Permaculture and had a successful design firm, still do, it's still running, doing great. A lot more farm design recently, which is really exciting for our whole team. But we realized that, you know, just doing one-off client engagements or designing a single piece of land, even if it was a 300-acre farm, wasn't really having enough impact fast enough to shift what we saw happening in the world. So especially Gregory Landaway and I, Gregory Landaway is the CEO of, of TGI, of Terragenesis. We started thinking about how could we shift a larger system? And it became clear that companies were, you know, just with their day-to-day -day work, they were purchasing millions and millions of dollars of ingredients from all over the world. So we realized if we could connect with them and grow and evolve their thinking and their desire, then rather than just designing a single farm, we're influencing where money goes for thousands of farms all over the world. So it basically became not even a leverage point, it was beyond a leverage point. We see it as a, a nodal point, like an acupuncture point, where businesses can have a huge positive effect on the world through their system of supply. And then is Terragenesis, is one of those projects to work with Lush? Terragenesis worked with Lush Cosmetics for three years. We had a wide-ranging consulting engagement with them and supported their work on the Sustainable Lush Fund uh, and a number of initiatives they did there. And there's a good bit written up on the Lush website about about all the good work that they did and are continuing to do. And I think they've been one of the companies recently that has really stepped up to support regenerative agriculture. And there's others. I mean, it's an interesting thing is that there's sort of a, you might call it a, a third wave of regenerative agriculture that's happening now as these companies, as these corporations have picked it up and started moving with it and putting it in their marketing and getting it out to the world. And this third wave, it's interesting, it has some different lineages. So different people are using the term regenerative agriculture differently. And that's not actually written up particularly well in the current white paper, but I'm working on a new post to describe that more. But I can, you know, I can do it here before I even write it up. So I can tell you a bit of the origins um, for the listeners to hear. Well, that was my next question, is how would you define re regenerative agriculture in this context? So please, go ahead. 
part of the thing here is that I don't like defining regenerative agriculture. If you read, <laughs> if you read the white paper, uh, the levels of regenerative agriculture, there's a whole section early on where we explain um, vigorously why it's not a good idea to have a single definition. How the idea of a definition itself is not really regenerative. It's sort of, it reduces things. It, it Actually, the, the etymology of to define means to wall in, to kind of put in, just like we do <laughs> in agricultural fields. You know, we sort of like wall them in and don't let any wildlife or anything come into it. And I think that takes away some of the potential. Therefore, part of how I define regenerative agriculture, a big part is that it has to evolve. Whatever you currently think regenerative agriculture is, however you're currently using it, it has to grow and evolve other time. Otherwise, it's not regenerative. Otherwise, it's static. Otherwise, you could just put up a checklist of different things. Oh, I did this practice and I, you know, I, I did no-till and I added biochar and I, you know, I put an herb spiral somewhere if you're in the permaculture side of things and, you know, I'm done. Now I'm regenerative. And that approach just, it doesn't actually create regeneration. Actually, it, it goes against it. It kind of stagnates it. So that's one core thing, you know, in talking about a definition is that there shouldn't be one or rather whatever there currently is must evolve and grow over time. Now, that gets harder when you're working with a number of global businesses and nonprofits and uh, aiming to head towards something. So, you know, one thing that was really interesting, I still think is fascinating, is that there are some organizations out there that are using the term regenerative agriculture, but then promoting a definition that is really very simple. It's, it's oversimplified. It's fragmented and it's just focused on one particular factor. And that factor is not a bad one. It's soil carbon. Uh, they say if you're adding carbon to your soil, then you've got regenerative farming. Now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I agree that in most circumstances, it's really useful to add carbon to soil and to grow its fertility and water holding capacity. I think that's great. But I think only focusing on soil carbon really misses out on the bigger picture and the bigger potential of what regenerative agriculture can deliver. Which really pulls back to that permaculture perspective of taking a holistic approach to our farm and not only our soil health, but all the pieces that we can integrate into this for that long-term regeneration and sustainability of the site. Exactly. Yeah, we have, there has to be in regenerative agriculture, from my perspective, we need trees, at least. We need whole ecosystems even better. We need a sense of water. We need to know that there are human beings that are engaged in agriculturally is an innately human thing. So it doesn't make sense to have a definition of agriculture um, that leaves humans out. Some prominent permaculturists uh, might disagree with me and have vocally as we've been you know, working to put out this definition. But from my perspective, humans have to be included. That needs to be done sensitively. It needs to be done in a way that regenerative agriculture can be picked up and used and adopted and evolved by every farmer everywhere in the world. But humans can't, in my opinion, really be left out. So how do you see integrating people more fully into these systems, not only in their ability to work with the land, but also to begin thinking about agriculture and our role in the systems? Well, we've taken two approaches. So we put out our white paper, The Levels of Regenerative Agriculture, back in October. And that paper lays out four whole paradigms of thinking about agriculture. Each of them is 
successively more complex and has greater potential. It doesn't mean that one is necessarily better than the other. All of them are great. If we got the whole world just doing level one regenerative agriculture, that would be awesome. And as you go, as you step into, so the first level is called functional. The second is integrative. The third is systemic. And the fourth is evolutionary. The first functional level, it includes, you know, putting carbon in the soil and increasing basic ecosystem health. It aims to combat, you know, and go against the current trend of carbon accumulation in the atmosphere. Um, It's really good. If all farms are doing that, that would be awesome. And I think there's the potential for human beings eventually to remember themselves as part of whole agro ecosystems and to be working not just to physically functionally improve the soil evolve the soil but also to grow and change themselves their communities the larger ecosystem they're in and eventually shift whole systems in the world and so as you get to the the kind of deeper levels of regenerative agriculture you're really doing place source design you're engaging with a story of place process like regenesis has you are really deeply engaging and producing something that is unique producing something that comes from the essence of your farm of the land itself of you as individual managers so i mean i guess the basic approach we're taking there is let's start and and head towards a really good goal of basic functional regenerative agriculture we put carbon in the soil and then let's keep going Let's keep using our design thinking. Let's keep innovating and trying out new things and trying out new ways of thinking so that regenerative agriculture continues to evolve and grow and doesn't get stuck as another you know, organic certification with a checklist you have to fill out. As I see more and more of those kinds of organizations coming about in order to provide alternatives to, say, the USDA organic agriculture side of things, or we have what's going on with the like LEED certification in natural building as people are kind of creating it, they're just more certificates and other bureaucratic structures on top of just doing the good work. Yeah, and there's, yeah, there's a way in which regenerative agriculture needs to work for farmers around the world. And... I think that one of the core principles, we also lay out in the paper, seven principles of regenerative agriculture, which are based, by the way, on the seven first principles of regeneration that one of my mentors and teachers has recently put out a nice little video on. It's actually focused on impact investing, but it shows the seven first principles of regeneration. So our principles of regenerative agriculture are sort of evolved from those core first principles. But one of them is really to look uh, towards potential, to not be saying, you know, how do I solve this problem? How do I fix this problem? But rather to be asking what is the most amazing thing that could be created here? What can we do to serve the largest possible whole system that we're a part of? Not, you know, how do we fix this problem? Uh, how do we get out of this challenge? How do we sell more of this? You're really asking questions from potential rather than from problems. Now, one of the conversations I've been having lately within the permaculture community is that many folks do not and may not ever have access to land. What are some things that people who are not farming and not growing can do in order to support work in this realm of regenerative agriculture? Yes, there are many ways to approach this. I think I think first it would be useful to kind of step back and step out a little bit and notice that for thousands of years, 
there were forms of what we would now call regenerative agriculture that were practiced. I don't practice isn't quite the right word that were engaged and woven into the life ways of indigenous peoples all over the world and continue to this day. So a lot of the, the roots of regenerative agriculture, though not often acknowledged in some of the, you know, the, the lineages that say it just came out of organic, are the indigenous peoples of the planet uh, and their long-term history. Agriculture wasn't separate from life. It wasn't separate from their connection to spirituality or religion. Agriculture was and is a ritual remembrance of their origins and everything that makes their culture work. The culture was really the key thing and agriculture an essential thread in it for some peoples. Many peoples, you know, uh, lived and worked in what would not be considered agriculture, lived in nomadic and semi-nomadic life ways, though many of those peoples often, based on more recent research, it seems either did some forms of agriculture themselves or had interactions with uh, neighboring tribes or even sub-clans within the same tribe that were practicing agriculture uh, as they went. So the reason I'm saying all that is to note that many of these peoples never believed and never did, quote-unquote, own land. If anything, the belief was that the people were owned by the land and that they had a responsibility to tend and store the land as a whole system as they were moving through it in different ways. And so, you know, the question about people who don't own land, well, Maybe we just need to flip that whole thing around and say, yeah, of course you can head towards regenerative agriculture. There's many ways to do it. It has to do with changing our whole culture. I can give some specific, you know, practical responses too, but I just thought that that reframe might be important. I really think it is. And I'm glad that you bring it up that way because it's solving the problems. These really basic, simple responses that we can have is a simple go-to. It's always useful sometimes to get started in that way because we can kind of build our confidence in the changes that we're making. But at the end of the day, really what we're dealing with are these very broad cultural and societal issues that take a lot more work than just deciding to buy organic vegetables. Exactly. Yeah, it also that very much goes to goes to goes against this idea of best practices. Right. If I had just responded to your initial question and saying, yes, you should buy, you know, food that uses this system and is better. Or, uh, yes, you should, you know, call your policymaker and tell them this thing. That's almost taking a practice, a particular thing that I figured out or somebody else has tried and then just slapping it down somewhere else, thinking that it's going to be the best thing. So I actually think that the whole field of best practices is not regenerative and doesn't lead to the best thinking and doesn't lead to the most effective solution or most effective approach in any situation. So that's another issue that I have with some of the other definitions of regenerative agriculture is they very, very clearly lay out, here are the practices that make up regenerative agriculture. I can see sometimes that there might be value to that, but ultimately each farmer in each place is going to need to evolve their own strategies that are unique to context uh, and that fit their management style and their ecosystem and their social and cultural landscape like never before, like something new. That really means we're heading towards regeneration. Now, that doesn't mean we have to reinvent the wheel. It would be useful to learn from you know, those who have done good agricultural practices in the past. And for sure, we see 
practices that have resulted in at least that level one, you know, functional carbon to soil level of regenerative agriculture. And in our definition website, and I'll explain why we put up a definition website after I just said that you shouldn't have a definition. On that website, we do list a set of practices that can be, if managed more importantly, I think through principles and through a regenerative paradigm can lead to a regenerative agriculture. So maybe I'll just talk about that website. So we put out, I started this before, we put out the white paper in October in order to really, our goal was to open up the conversation and help our minds grow and go further and further and further, even further than what we proposed there. We were very clear about that in the paper. But then all of a sudden there were all these other kind of definitions for regenerative agriculture being floated around that were so simplified and so, I don't know, just single factor that we thought, okay, we need to respond in a way. We need to put something out that is short and sweet, you know, that you can put on a page or two and yet contains a more holistic perspective on what regenerative agriculture can be. At the same time, we have to own that it's going to be evolving and that people are going to have different opinions. And so we built a website. It's just regenerativeagriculturedefinition.com. And what you can see there is our current best thinking. And we synthesize that by looking at everything that was out there, by kind of honing in on the essence of what we found, by asking professionals in the regenerative agriculture community, by asking farmers. We t- probably talked overall to about 300 people to get down to a single clarified definition and set of principles and practices that can lead towards regenerative agriculture. What we also did is put up a very open discussion page where people can put their own ideas. And we've had awesome suggestions there that have already evolved the definition. Um, We've also been featuring some of the more specific other definitions that people have put out there from folks like Neil Spackman, from the Regenerative Agriculture Foundation, from the Rodale Institute, they have differing specific definitions. We've posted those up there. The idea here is let's look at them all and have our own thinking and add to the discussion about what each of us believes regenerative agriculture could be going into the future. So that's totally open. The, the site is Creative Commons licensed, so everything that goes up there is is you know for people to think about and use and share. There's a spot where you can add your support if you really resonate with uh, what we've put forward. And we want this to be an open conversation and not something that just you know happens for a few people behind closed doors. We're almost out of time for our conversation today. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners before we draw this to a close? I guess I want to do two things. One of them is to just quickly sketch out the origin story as I see it of what we're currently calling regenerative agriculture, and I'll do it really fast, but then also kind of connect this back to business because I am a firm believer that we need to make livelihoods. We need to have actual livelihoods in regenerative agriculture, in permaculture, uh, if it will grow to a level where it's really affecting the world. So briefly on the origins, I talked about the larger indigenous origins. Back in the 70s, the Rodale Institute put out some stuff called Regenerative Agriculture. They had a Regenerative Agriculture Association. It was mainly their basic approach, low tillage and no tillage, compost, crop rotation, cover cropping, and they were calling it regenerative. I believe, and I haven't heard, I'd love to talk to somebody who knows this for sure. Bill Mollison taught permaculture at Rodale, I think in the 80s. 
And I think there was a little infection that happened, and somehow the permaculture movement picked up and evolved regenerative agriculture beyond those basic decent Rodale practices and into the more whole systems approach that we've seen, you know, in the last 10 years, especially Darren Doherty and Regrarians have done a huge job at integrating key line and holistic management and really growing regenerative agriculture. At the same time, I think holistic management has sort of its own route where they at some point picked up the term regenerative agriculture and use it to describe what they're doing. And then finally, I I realized over the last five years, and this connects to the business also, is that there's a group of people, a community of practice that has been using the term regeneration, especially in business, also in agriculture, for over 40 years, maybe even predating the original usage at Rodale. And the folks at Regenesis and the Carol Sanford Institute have been engaging with regeneration for a long time and have a very holistic, very disruptive, very innovative approach to uh, working with it and bringing it beyond just the functional physical realm. So that kind of brings us up to now. Now there's an explosion. Lush, you know, from the permaculture lineage is using regenerative agriculture. Uh, the Epic Bars is a company that's kind of from the holistic management perspective, talking about regenerative agriculture. Patagonia, Organic India, Nutiva, they are all kind of talking about regenerative agriculture, but they're more coming from the Rodale lineage of it. Um, there's also all these support and promotion organizations. Regeneration International is an excellent one that Terragenesis partners with. There's also Kiss the Ground, the Carbon Underground, Carbon Drawdown Project is working on it. The Regenerative Agriculture Foundation is just uh, really getting going now. And so all of those support organizations and the public companies, they're all using the term. I think it's useful for us to start to see and discern the lineages of regenerative agriculture that each of them are working with and use that as an ability to up-level and grow the whole thing. Thank you for taking this time with me today, Ethan, and running us all the way up to the line. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I look forward to hearing all of your comments and thoughts on the Regenerative Agriculture Definition site, and we'll be posting on Medium and LinkedIn as well as we continue the conversation. Let's grow regenerative agriculture so that it's used and evolved all over the world. And that was Ethan Rowland. You can find out more about his project and get involved at regenerativeagriculturedefinition.com. If you'd like to find out more about Ethan and his work, his personal business, which you mentioned there in the beginning, is at appleseedpermaculture.com, and then TerraGenesis International is at terra-genesis.com, and of course you'll find links to all of those and my earlier interviews with Ethan in the show notes for this episode. What I'm left with leaving this conversation is not about defining regenerative agriculture, because there are, as Ethan mentioned, several different approaches to where this idea arises and how it's being used. And now we get to work on defining what it means as permaculture practitioners and with farmers and others who are practicing agriculture. What I'm left with goes back to the conversation with Boto Viller about a collaborative effort that, by licensing it with the Creative Commons, making it open Many of us can contribute to this idea of regenerative agriculture and what it means right now and moving forward. If you were to take this idea that Ethan presents, how would you define regenerative agriculture? What would you contribute to this project of creating meaning and with meaning a definition that we can use to work on creating a more regenerative future? What are your thoughts on regenerative agriculture 
and what Ethan shared with us today. Do you see what he had to say as compatible with permaculture? As something separate to it? Or as a way to rename the work that we're doing into something that perhaps is more palatable than this word stemming from permanent agriculture? I'd like to know your thoughts on this. So if you'd like to, go ahead and leave a comment at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Or if you'd like to dig into it further, feel free to give me a call or send me an email, 717-827-6266, or show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. I would say to drop something in the mail, but I'm much better at sending out books than I am to sit down and to write a letter in response. So electronic means are usually the easiest and quickest ways to get in touch. From here, the next scheduled interview is a conversation with Annie Racer-Roland about the art of frugal hedonism. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.